Someone told me the other day that there are two sure signs that you're getting old. One is that your memory goes, and the other is... Okay. <laughs> Took you a while. I was going to say thank you, Carol and Shauna. Well, welcome today to uh, Pastor Allen Goes to the Mountains. And so, so you've got me. Oh, thank you. He is, he's up in Banff on one of his annual treks up there uh, to get refreshed. And we're going to go to the mountains here also at uh, Cross Church. And last week he spoke to you. I wasn't here, but I, I listened online and... Uh, he spoke to you about Moses when he was, had an encounter with God at the burning bush. He was out in the desert and he was uh, taking care of his father-in-law's sheep and he came upon this bush that was burning but not being consumed and uh, God spoke to him at that time and commissioned him to go to Pharaoh in Egypt and to demand that he set God's people free. They were in slavery, had been in bondage for some 400 years, and it was getting worse and worse, and the Jewish people knew the promises of God, and so they began to cry out to God for a deliverer. And God had this encounter with Moses at this burning bush, and he said to him, you're to go to Pharaoh, and you're to say, let my people go. And, and Moses was very concerned about this. He didn't feel that he, he was a public speaker. He wasn't eloquent enough to go. What if people didn't, the people didn't listen to him? What if Pharaoh said no and God just said, you know, you go in my strength. I'll go with you and do this. And just dropping down a little bit, when I got the notes of what my message was, the portion of scripture my message was to be on today, I realized that at the end of Pastor Allen's, there was a large space and then a verse which tied in what the sermon is for this morning to what his sermon was. And in Exodus 3.12, it says, God's saying to Moses about going, and I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt out, you will worship God on this mountain. And so this morning, we're going to go to Exodus 24 in a bit. I'm going to start a little bit before that, but we're going to look at Exodus 24, 12 to 18 uh, as what is tied into what God is referring to in his former conversation with Moses. So after that encounter, Moses left to go to Egypt, and he had the help of his brother, his older brother Aaron, who was a more eloquent speaker and was going to do the speaking, and they went before Pharaoh, and they said, Pharaoh, God has a message for you that you are to let his people go. And of course, Pharaoh wasn't about to be moved by these two uh, people coming into his court and demand, making demands on behalf of a God that he didn't serve or know. It wasn't the God of Egypt and so he sent them away and refused to do this. And Moses went back again with Aaron time and time again. And most of you know the story. Uh, it's in the book, and if you didn't read the book, you've seen the movie. And uh, 
I'm sure that when I get to heaven, I'll be really surprised if Moses doesn't look like Charlton Heston. <laughs> anyway, um, when, when he was there time and time again, God sent plagues upon the Egyptians. And yet time and time again, it didn't matter because no matter what happened, Pharaoh's heart was just all the more hardened and he refused to let God's people go. And in fact, things got worse for the Egyptians. You ever find that? You're obedient to God, you're trying to do what you should, and things just seem to get worse instead of better. And this is how it seemed to be. And here the, the Israelites had called out to God to come and deliver them, and instead it seemed that things were getting worse. The Egyptians were putting more and more work on them, more and more hardship on them. And so, but Moses and Aaron kept going and went in God's strength, and finally... You know that when it came to the last plague where the death angel passed over and the firstborn in all of the Egyptian families uh, died as a result, that the grief that Pharaoh had at the moment allowed him, he just said, go, you know, get out of here. And so the, the Israelites had been told to be ready for God's deliverance, to be ready, to be packed and ready to go. And so, but when I thought about this, people, I thought, what it was hard for me to even take in what must have happened uh, at that time that uh, Moses would have had to have um, got 600,000 men plus women and children and flocks and herds and they were taking plunder which God had said they could have from Egypt of gold and so on even the people in Egypt wanted them to go so much they were giving them their gold and just just go but to rally to to get together that many people and, and to get away as quickly as possible when Pharaoh was in this mood to say, you go. So they all got moving. And when they got into the desert outside of, of where they had been, um, God miraculously provided guidance for them. He promises to do that for us, you know, if we're putting our trust in him. And he'd given some promises to Moses. And so he said to Moses, you know, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take care of these things. And as he went, as he went into the desert place, into the wilderness, uh, God put a pillar of cloud in front of them uh, to guide them by day and a pillar of fire at night to give light and to protect them. And so they started out. And he led them, and he led them to the place, you'll remember, where the Red Sea and at this time, I guess those at the very back of this trail of people uh, could begin to feel the earth beginning to shake. And here, Pharaoh, his heart had hardened, and, and now he was angry, and he decided that this was not going to happen, and he and his armies and his chariots and so on began to come and chase after the Israelites and wanted to destroy them. And so already, hardly beginning of their journey. In, in front of them is the Red Sea, and at the sides, they were, they were going, like going through a pass almost, and so there was no escape. The Israelites, there was no turning back. And, of course, immediately the Israelites began to, to grumble and complain and, and say, what's God brought us here to die? Uh, we should have stayed in Egypt. And God, miraculously, as you know, through the channel of Moses, uh, put the sea back so the people of Israel could walk through on dry land 
And as the last person stepped out of that dry riverbed with the, Israelite, with the Egyptian armies behind them, that water closed over all the Egyptians. And, and I could see as I read that, because I had to, you know, I've thought of it before. Like, God, you know, that was pretty early to test them. But you know what? When we see a bigger picture, uh, and sometimes we're not going to see that until we get to heaven, there's a bigger picture. God has his ways, and his ways are higher than our ways. And so uh, we find that now the, the Israelites don't have to go through the rest of their journey always looking over their shoulders, always wondering if Pharaoh's going to come after them. Uh, he, the armies of Pharaoh were taken care of once and for all and destroyed in the sea. So they progressed through this wilderness journey, uh, you'll remember that God sent manna from heaven, quail, um, sent them, got them water out of the rock, and just provided for them miraculously. So he provided divine guidance, he provided uh, physical, for their physical beings, and he led them. And as he did, they, they still grumbled and complained, and are you going to leave us to die in the desert and we should be in Egypt? Uh, they obviously loved garlics and leeks better than they liked manna and quail. And sometimes you just can't please anybody. And so they went through the wilderness. And now we come to their arrival three months to the day after they had, arrived, after they had departed Egypt. They arrive at the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And this I have to tell you, of all the time I studied, uh, I was so confused. If you ever read this portion of scripture, starting with, I have to know everything that's going on around about. That's just who I am. I have to get into the whole flavor of the, the story and so on and what's going on. It's hard for me to take a small portion of scripture and preach a sermon on it without knowing the context that it's all in. And if you start at Exodus 19 and you go through Exodus 34, uh, you'll find that Moses had more ups and downs on that mountain than you and I think we have in a, in a lifetime. And I was getting very confused as to when he went up and when he came down and when he was only halfway. Remember the old Duke of York song? Yeah. I even thought of that. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and so he was, God was calling him up and then sending him back down to talk to the people and then bringing him back up again. And... Uh, and I was getting so confused, and I told the Lord that. I said, oh, Lord, I I'm so confused. This, and I was in commentaries and stuff, and they were confused. So I didn't feel so badly when I saw that. They proceeded, Moses was told, was summoned up to the mountain by God. This is around chapter 19. And up on the mountain, God tells him that he's, it gives him a wonderful message, just a, a, a precious message. He tells him, you're to go and tell the people that out of all the nations of the world, I'm going to take them to myself as a treasured possession. And I'm going to be with them. And you can trust in this, but it's going to depend upon, he was going to make a covenant with them, but it was going to depend upon the fact that they were going to have to trust him. If they'll put their trust in me, God says, and obey my laws and so on, 
then I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. And he said this, if I understand it correctly, in the hearing of the people, even though Moses was up in the mountain, I guess God's voice will carry anywhere he wants it to carry. And so um, the people heard this. When Moses came down to relay what they said, they said immediately there was no question about it. I mean, who doesn't want to think that of all the nations of the world, God is choosing you as his special treasure um, and will fight for you with your enemies and you'll win them. And, and it was just, of course they would. And of course they responded so quickly. Yes, yes, we will. We'll do all the laws and we'll keep all the commandments and the ordinances and so on. And so they had said that. Moses went up and told God what the people had said. And then there had to be a formal ratifying or confirming of this covenant between the two parties. And um, I'm trying to think whether Moses has got to go down or go up now. I think he's got to go down at this point. And he tells the people that for, you know, in, in three days this ceremony is going to take place and they are to make themselves ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean for this. And so the people make themselves ready and then they're not allowed to go up on the mountain. They were not allowed to go up in God's presence. There were some that allowed to go so far, some of the elders, Joshua, Aaron, and his two sons. And Moses was the only one that was allowed to go up into the very presence of God and God put on a light and sound show like you've never seen or heard of before. And it's described in the scriptures that uh, a dark cloud settled over the mountain and the lightning began and then there was thunder. And uh, I was reading about uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Stewart, I think it was, who actually went out into the Sinai Desert and experienced and wrote about this. And he said that when the thunder uh, came, first of all, because the desert is so quiet, when the, when the thunder reverberated against the different mountain peaks, because Hebron was a range of mountains, of which Sinai was one, and the, the thunder just reverberated, it, it made the earth tremble. All the things that it says in God's word that happened. And the people were, were just in awe, but frightened. There was a, a holy fear of God. And, he, and so Moses went up into the clouds, and they, they were a little bit afraid of this, but Moses went up to talk to God, and God gave him uh, the commandments and all the ordinances and so on, and um, they weren't in writing. They were, just, they were given to him at that point. And then when we go over to Exodus 24, 12 to 18, uh, again, we find, and this is what it says, the Lord said to Moses, this is again, come up to me on the mountain, and while you are there, I will give you some tablets on which I have written the commandments intended for their instruction. So now God is going to give uh, the Ten Commandments now carved in stone. So Moses set out with Joshua his aide and went up to the mountain of God. The elders, however, had been told by him, wait here for us until we return to you. Aaron and her are staying with you. If anyone has a complaint, let him refer the matter to them. And after Moses had gone up, 
A cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord settled upon Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord was seen as a consuming fire on the mountaintops. But Moses passed into the midst of the cloud, and he went up on the mountain, and there he stayed 40 days and 40 nights. Moses had a special relationship with God. He had proved himself. He had proved the faith that he had in God by his obedience. We can talk about the faith that we have, but if we want to make demonstration of our faith, uh, it's because we're obedient. Faith will follow obedience. It will show obedience. And right from the time that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses obeyed even though he thought he wasn't, he knew he wasn't able to do it in his own strength or power, he still was obedient. And so God had seen that obedience, and the more faith that was demonstrated by Moses, the closer in the relationship he got with him. And so in this illustration, in this particular scripture, we find that now Moses is going up, and he's to spend 40 days and 40 nights in God's presence. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I had to really question the amount of time that I take to spend in God's presence. Um, Moses had a waiting time. Uh, it showed that maybe God was working on his patience. I don't know. But he had to wait for six days first before God spoke to him and called out to him from the midst of the cloud on the seventh day. It was interesting that to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord was seen as a consuming fire. That's often how people who don't know him uh, perceive him, to be this God of fire and brimstone and judgment and so on. And Moses, it says, passed into the midst of the cloud as he went up into the mountain, and he stayed there 40 days and 40 nights. Now while he was up there, and God gave him the tablets of stone and and he also gave him all of the, what, what we know as the Book of the Covenant, all the ordinances that the people were to live by that had to do with things that affect you and I still today. Uh, I read that the, the Ten Commandments and the, the ordinances and so on, that other countries marveled at these laws and so on because of the wisdom of them and knowing that the Israelites were not as sophisticated or, or uh, as some of the other countries, the more advanced countries. And so it was, a, it was an amazing thing to receive these all. And today, we still, they form a basis of our laws, at least for now. Uh, laws dealing with personal property, laws dealing with uh, mercy and justice, laws dealing with uh, just about every aspect of our everyday lives kind of laws we see. In fact, if you get a chance, read them. Um, they make for interesting reading as to how God set out everything that should be done. And Moses got all of these together. They took them down off the mountain in 40, when the 40 days, but while he was up there, because 40 days were going by and the people were beginning to think with that consuming fire up there and so on that Moses was not coming back. And so they got Aaron and said, Aaron, build us an idol. 
And so just days after they made their commitment and their covenant to God that, yes, we're going to follow you. Yes, we're going to uh, listen to your covenants and we'll, we'll act on them and we're going to trust you and so on. Just days after this happens, they're going to Aaron and asking him to build them an idol that will represent the presence of God. Um, I always have to admit, I thought that, you know, this idol, here they are going to idolatry, which they were. But, you know, they were thinking that we don't have Moses, so we need something that will represent the glory of God. And so everybody threw in their earrings, their gold, and everything that they had that was metal, and they, they cast a, uh, an idol out of it, of a calf, a golden calf. And they began to worship. And what started maybe as, a, as what they thought was right to do with Moses not there, something tangible that would represent the presence of God, they built an altar before it to sacrifice before it, thinking it was for God. But whenever people start to dabble in things like this, uh, things got out of hand, and pretty soon there was uh, drunken revelry and, and all sorts of things going on, all sorts of immoral things going on. And God knew what was going on, and he, he said to Moses, you know, you better go back down. Your people have, have gotten out of hand. And so Moses goes down off the mountain and sees what going, what's going on and takes those stone tablets and smashes them down, and he's just so angry, and God is so angry. He just wants to wipe them all out and destroy them and start all over again. And Moses... Uh, went to him and, and pleaded for him. You know, Moses is a foreshadowing of Christ. He stood between God and the people and pleaded for them. And, uh, and, and God relented and said, all right, I, I won't destroy them, uh, but there's no way I'm going with them. Remember the promise was that they were to go to the promised land and Moses was to lead them there. And they said, okay, well, God said, okay, well, they can go to the promised land, but I am not going with them. And Moses is saying, God, if you don't go, I'm not going. And so again, this was the relationship that had now developed between God and Moses, where he could speak to him face to face and say to God, you know, God, I'm just not going unless you are. So I'm just going to stay right here, and we're not going anywhere. And so God said, okay. I'll come with you. I'll, I'll take you to the promised land. And the, the children of Israel repented of their sin. And uh, we find Moses going back up the mountain. And this time God gives him another uh, set of the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, and instructions for building a tabernacle and and the, he said to, to Moses, I want to come and dwell with you. I mean, imagine, you know, I think it's been mentioned before that many times people thought that the gods lived in the mountains, uh, probably because of their grandeur and so on. And they wanted to, they believed that God lived there, but uh, in this instance, we have a God who wants to dwell with his people. And in those days, it was to come into the tabernacle and to abide with them. And, and Moses was the only one that could go in and talk to God and so on. And then there was the Holy of Holies. The high priest could only go in 
and all of these rules and regulations and laws about their worship. And of course, we today are under a new covenant, the covenant that Moses and the people made with God back then had to have the sprinkling of blood also in order to ratify and confirm that covenant. And we're very thankful today that we can look back and that there was a, the, the Bible tells us that there was a new and living way, a new covenant, that when Jesus came and when he died on the cross and, and, and shed his own blood and made a way for us to come to him. And what a God we serve, that he invites us to come into his presence and he wants us to come, he wants to fellowship with us. And because the sin question, for those of us that are putting our trust in him, because the sin question was dealt with on the cross, we now have access to go to him uh, with a clear conscience. And we, have, we can have fellowship with him, and he wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. And so Moses came down off the mountain, and, and his face was radiant, uh, the face of someone who had just spent time in the presence of God. After the mountain experience, Moses was never the same. No one can spend time in the presence of the Lord and remain the same. And so that tells me that I need to be spending more and more time in his presence. And there will always be a sign that you have been spending time with God. Remember Saul of Tarsus who had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he became the famous Apostle Paul and took up the cause of Christians, whereas before he was persecuting them. When the disciples had been with Jesus and, and they were up on, on the mountain and, and told to go down to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and they went and they tarried and they waited, and God sent his Holy Spirit to indwell them. And the Bible tells us that God no longer dwells in temples made with hands, but in the hearts of believers. And so uh, the Holy Spirit came, and, and there was such a difference after that with the disciples that people took note of them, that they had been with Jesus. And also they perceived that uh, these were the ones that were turning the world upside down. Twelve disciples, twelve ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, ordinary people like you and me that when they had spent time with, with God and allowed him to come and dwell with them and within them, that they were able to turn their world upside down. I wonder how many of us have turned our neighborhood upside down or our families upside down or our, our friends upside down with the, the message of Christ. Moses came off the mountain and there was a humility about him. Everybody else saw his face shining, but he didn't know it. He didn't come down boasting that he had seen God face to face and now he's going to do this and that. He came down in humility. It tells us that in his worship he fell on his face before God. And we usually think of worship about being about singing and, and praying and preaching, and, and that's all part of it. And they may be involved in worship, but genuine worship involves the heart above everything else. In genuine worship, there's a desire to exalt Jesus and a desire to, for him to receive the glory. So often we want music that stirs our senses and makes us feel good. 
and we think that the worship and the service has been good if we go out feeling good. And you need to know something, people, that worship is about God as the object. It's about exalting him in whatever we do, in whatever we say. And there was this outward change, and there should be an outward change when we meet the Lord and spend time in his presence. Our walk, our talk, our lives should bear witness to the fact that we've been with Jesus and we've spoken to him and been in his presence. And it produced a special relationship with God. When we walk in genuine fellowship with the Lord, there's a special relationship that develops. He doesn't love one more than the other, but he does reveal himself more to those who are walking closer to him. He'll speak more directly to them through his word. He'll manifest his presence more often in your heart. He'll use you more wonderfully for his glory. And we need to be thankful for that, that God takes ordinary people and and does extraordinary things through their lives. I have my own mountain story. And I might have told you before, but those of you that are older will have forgotten it by now. The story, in my younger leadership days, I I used to take kids up to Banff camping. And uh, it was a thrill for me to see sometimes kids that were from the inner city and so on, had never been out of uh, Winnipeg probably, and to, to see them as they got into the mountains and so on, it was always such a thrill for me. Because for me, I don't believe that there's anything that expresses the majesty and the glory of God like being up in the mountains. Bill Gaither, who's written many a gospel song, had a song, there's something about a mountain. And there is something about a mountain that that makes you feel so insignificant and makes God seem so majestic. He speaks to us through his creation. And so I took these kids up to the mountains, up to Banff, and we camped. And the next day, in the afternoon, we went up to Sulphur Mountain. For those of you who are familiar with the Banff area, we went up on the gondola. And these were teenage girls. They were leadership kids that I was uh, working with, and we went up Sulphur Mountain on the gondola, and when we got to the top, and these are teenage girls, so we're talk, 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 talk all the time, and when we got to the top of the mountain, we, at that time there was a, a smaller sort of coffee shop up there, not the lavish kind of restaurant that's up there now, and as we got up there, uh, we turned left to go I'm not a heights person. It took everything I have to get up there. And if anybody dared rock that gondola, they were, they were, they were a problem on the spot. And, uh, but it was something you didn't want to miss. So I always go. And so I took the kids up, but as they're walking along the mountain path, it wasn't a high one. It was sort of lateral. The one on this side goes down and then up for those that know. And so I, we were walking along this path, and again, you know, the kids are talking and talking. And the Spirit of God spoke to me very, as, as much, it could have been an audible voice, which it wasn't, but I knew, and said, be still and know that I am God. And it was such a direction that, and I have to admit, I did not know if it was a Bible verse or not. So I said to the kids, I, I called them over to me, and I told them what happened. And I said, is there a Bible verse that says, be still and know that I am God, because sometimes you see these things on little plaques and so on, and I might have seen it somewhere. And they said, well, it sounds like a verse. 
And I said, okay, but I think we need to do what it says because I believe that God wants us to just stop for a while and look around and, and know that he is God and what he's done. So we went off the beaten trail, not very far, but I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to separate from one another, but everybody has to be able to see me so that then I know I can see you. But I want everybody on their own just to look around and, and see God in what there is. On the one side, there is the Valley of the Ten Peaks. On the other side, the city of Banff and you know, the town of Banff and, and Bow Valley. And so we sat up there. I can't tell you how long we were up there for, but we were up there for quite a long time to the point that I was worried that we were going to miss the last gondola down. And I had walked it before on purpose, but I didn't want to do it again. And that was walking down, not walking up. And so I was a little concerned about that. But I looked around and the kids were just so enthralled in everything around. And God spoke to me again and, and, and gave me that verse, what is man that thou art mindful of him? God, who are you that created this whole beautiful world that you are mindful, you take thought of me. Who are you, this God that says he wants to dwell with us, who wants to be our God and we be his people? Who am I to, you feel so small and so insignificant if it wasn't for the fact that the God of this earth loves you and, and wants to be with you. And so finally I, I called the kids back and they sat around and, and nobody moved, nobody said anything. And I thought, how do I do this? And I thought, you know, this is like being in a, an outdoor cathedral. Maybe if I close in prayer, it'll be like the end of the service and they know that we can go. So I said, well, let's just have a word of prayer before we go. And so everybody bowed their heads reverently. And I started to pray as I usually do. And I said, Father, and a lump the size of a football was in my throat. There were no words that I could come up with that could express the things that were in my heart. No words at all. And one of the young ladies, sensing my struggle, began to quote, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my song, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And she stopped there, and I managed to choke out an amen. And we went down on the gondola, and there was, nobody was talking. When we got close to the car, the kids ran to the car, and I opened it, and they grabbed their Bibles, which were in the car, and they started searching through their little concordances and so on, until somebody found they're nestled in the, in the pages of the Psalms, be still and know that I am God. And I have a confession to make today, is that God spoke to us that day, he spoke to me, but I am often not still enough. I am often not spending time like I should in the presence of God. I am busy I am busy. I do not ever want to put in a May and June like I did this year. I'm serious. And I've had to take a long look at that, and I've had to, I've had to realize that I have been busy. But InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, for those who are familiar with it, 
uh, came out with a little booklet many, many years ago called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And in the, the lives that we live today, this affects so many of us, it's true of so many of us, that this, this busyness, even in churches, especially in churches, the busyness that we have of the things that we're doing, that not everything that we do in our lives, many things are urgent, but unfortunately those aren't always the things that are important. Um, somebody calls and we, we don't know how to say no, so we, we agree to do this or that, and many times the important things get left. And so we need to do as Moses did. We need to spend time in God's presence and, so, and listen to what he has to say and ask God's spirit who's been given to us to guide us into all truth and to, to uh, make Jesus real to us so that when we come out from being in his presence, we are different people. People will be able to see in us uh, God's glory. That's what it means. We, the scripture says, whatever you do in word or deed, dwell to the glory of God. What that means is that what, in whatever we do, we should be showing other people what God is like. And it's nice, it's important that we stay up, but there's a purpose for us spending time in, in God's presence. Not so that we just feel good and, and wow, this is great to be in God's presence. Instead of that, it's because he has things for us to do. And we need to be empowered to do them. We can be busy, but we're not all effective. And we need to take time in God's presence to find out, God, what are your marching orders for me? What are the things that you want me to do? What have, what have you got for me that will, will serve you more effectively and glorify you in everything? Shauna, I think I've known Shauna for all but maybe 12 years of her life, I think. And Shauna most of the time has her guitar. I don't think I'd know her without it. And I'll talk to her any time about a song, and she'll know it like that. And I said, Shauna, I called her yesterday. I said, Shauna, do you remember that song that Amy Grant used to sing? And I gave her a couple of words, and she said, sure. I said, I know it's the last minute, but would you mind singing it at the end of the service tomorrow? And she said, not at all. And so I've asked her to sing that song for us because it sums up what we've been talking about today. <laughs> 